Hi, we are back for another uh, episode, I guess, installment, whatever people call podcast things uh, of Eric's Mediocre Adventures, and this one is the second part of what's now going to be three parts of uh, Batman movie watching and discussion. Um, It's become three parts because Matthew uh, (laughs) wanted to add in some movies, which is fair. Like, it's Batman. I'll watch Batman movies all day. So, uh, yeah, but as you can tell, Matt is back. So say hello, Matt. Hello, 200 listeners. (laughs) Yes, we did. We did it. We finally had over 200 listeners. Uh, Well, not finally. I'm shocked that it happened at all. Um, But that has happened, which which is pretty cool. Uh, so thank you, people who listen to me ramble. Um, I don't even know if, like, ten people. You got, like, 200 people listening to you. That's pretty sweet, man. I know for a fact you know more than ten people. <laughs> well, like, that instantly comes to mind. I got, like, ten standouts, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but, yeah, so today we are talking about uh, Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, those those parts uh part one and part two (laughs) i'm laughing because matt and i got into an argument about whether it's one movie or two but we're not going to talk about that here Uh, i will try to refrain from bringing that point up thank you and we're also going to talk about i don't know the exact order uh that we're going to do this but we're going to talk about the dark knight rises uh batman v superman and um uh batman beyond return of the joker yes uh, so the two additions to this that Matt wanted to watch are Batman v Superman and The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, why don't you tell us tell us why, even though I know why, tell us why. <laughs> well, so when we originally were talking about like all these kind of movies to watch. Um, we talked about like The Dark Knight Returns, and it's such a standout movie uh, and story. Like when it came out in the comics as well, and so many other Batman movies are directly linked to what came out of this story and obviously the most direct comparable one would be like batman versus superman which movie and then in the comics as well uh and then as we started talking about like okay we're gonna watch this movie and that movie i just started thinking like well let's listen to like how cool would it be to talk about movies that have kind of bit about like an older batman you know a batman that's kind of he's gone through you know the crime fighting for many years uh he's kind of maybe in the retirement phase and then boom this is where he's at i thought it was really cool to kind of think about like these different stories about how they each represent batman's uh history at that point in time and i think that's something that doesn't get covered very often and i think it's really really cool and these four when i think about them really kind of focus in on that and i thought it was just a really cool idea to talk about those yeah like as much as i i I might have griped about it at the time because i didn't want to watch batman v superman again uh i completely i completely agree i think it's it's good and you get to actually see like a lot of people really don't realize because they don't read the comics how much certain comic moments uh i guess appear in these movies like how much they they inspire parts of the movies and stuff 
and a lot of people don't get that because like a lot of people wouldn't have read the dark knight returns for example or they wouldn't have read like like for civil war for example like most people wouldn't have read civil war but they so they don't get how amazing it is to see the moment where the unibeam refracts off of the shield and and stuff like it those things for us are are important <laughs> so even in I'm that i'm actually amazed at how many uh and i know we'll talk about it later but like the batman v super and like how many small things that it takes directly from the comics and from the movie that we'll talk about is crazy yeah it's a lot like even like it, it's just something about frank miller uh like his work is so often taken as like gospel for characters and it's it becomes incredibly important when when they're being adapted so batman obviously because we're going to talk about that uh in both year one and dark knight returns but also like daredevil his daredevil run is the run that like the the netflix series that everyone loves that i love is based on like the the black suit with the rope tied around his hands that's all frank miller like so it's it's pretty it's pretty cool and i do like that which so yeah um in the i guess the essence of of transparency um when I watched Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and 2, I took very detailed notes. I had about 10 pages of notes. Um, oh, smokes. And uh, I was ready. I was ready to go. And, and I told Matt this. Uh, my computer crashed, and I hadn't saved the document. When I opened the, the document back up, all of my Part 2 notes were gone. I only had my Part 1 notes. And then for some reason, uh, I was like, okay, I'm not going to rewrite this. I'm just going to leave Part 1. But then I didn't save it because I'm stupid, and I went about my day, and uh, my computer restarted itself for some reason, and I lost my part one notes. So um, I'm going to give like my brief thoughts and chime in occasionally during Matt's for the most part, but uh, I tried to recreate as much of it as I could based just off memory because I wasn't going to watch them again. And <laughs> it's weirdly disheartening to like lose that much notes on something, so I just didn't feel like it. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah I wouldn't feel too bad I mean I mean I actually I'm really surprised you took so many notes because I my notes are sparse man like I literally just sat down and just focused in on the movies and I'm like okay I gotta write this guy's name down but apart from that it was just you better remember this stuff because it is I just really sat in and just kind of took it all in I didn't really prep a whole lot of uh notes per se so i feel like a lot of this is you and i are going to be pretty even in terms of that kind of thing well it's not so like the way i do a lot of these because i'm inconsistent i go back and forth and it just usually depends on my mood when i'm watching a movie so like you'll notice like when we get to return of the joker i'm kind of more matter of fact and i just talk about moments i like mm. and then for batman v superman i kind of do a plot rundown and talk about specific, like talk about things as it goes and it just changes some like I it's probably not good to be that inconsistent with my, with how I do it but like so dark knight returns part 1 and 2 even though i had 10 pages it was only because it was a lot of bullet points on like yeah. on like parts rather than trying to remember things and just talking about like things i liked or things i didn't like but that that's only why it's usually so much so don't let that <laughs> don't let that bother you well if that's all 
yeah, that, that won't bother me too much. I usually roll with whatever gets thrown my way. But uh, I can start us off with the Dark Knight Returns if you don't mind. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna talk about uh, some Star Wars news, but then I realized it's probably too soon, and I know a lot of people of, of my friends who listen to this probably have not watched the newest episode of The Mandalorian yet, and would be mad at me for spoiling it. So I'm not going to. So we'll just we'll just get to to Dark Knight Returns. All right. Well, so I, we discussed before the uh, the Dark Knight Batman: The Dark Knight Returns. I mean, it was originally uh, a four issue comic that was written by Frank Miller. Uh, it was 1986. It was kind of uh, surprisingly given the date before this kind of story came out. You're looking at a very campy. Uh, what I would kind of consider like Joel Schumacher kind of like light, bubbly, not really kind of super Joel Schumacher kind of stuff, but like Batman was a lot more lighthearted in a way. And when this story came out, uh, you know, you get a older Batman who's retired, uh, you know, crime is starting to flood its way back into Gotham city and it became one of the most popular stories in comics. And in a lot of ways, it actually made Batman the character that he, like you and I, are the most familiar with. You know what I mean? Yeah, it made so, he made Batman cool again. A lot of like, if you go back and listen to like anyone talk about like Kevin Smith, for example, like uh, he's he's a big Batman fan. He has a podcast called Fat Man of Batman, or it's, I think it's called Fat Man Beyond now. But anyways, uh, it was the Dark Knight Returns that got him back into Batman. Like, yeah. and made him like really understand and and get Batman and like you're you're correct in that like uh, at the time we we're still coming kind of off the sixties and seventies kind of changes to comics where like the parents authority council and stuff and we're we're involved and we're making comics a lot less violent and and trying to make them more kid friendly as they wanted kid friendly things to be and and I don't know for sure if this was the start of the kind of like return to a more gritty thing, but it was definitely one of the bigger it's, impactful ones. Yeah. I would, there were, there have been pieces, uh, over the last, well, before this book came out, like probably throughout the 60s, 70s and into the eighties where you, know, you got darker stories and stuff, but it was really this one that really, you know, flung the character back into the mainstream as a dark, gritty, character i mean it was what three years after this book came out that we got the live action batman movie so as far as i can really tell um this movie or sorry this story which then became movies that we're going to talk about um it influenced every piece of batman media probably you and i have really watched and i know uh like todd mcfarland for example who has done so many different comic books and stuff like that he attributes this story to him starting his run on spot like so many different creators have looked at this stuff and been like this is what got them into the into the medium and this is what really brought batman back yeah so coming back to it we have in 2012 september 25th you got part one and in 2013 you have a part two and they decided to and I don't know exactly why they decided to split it up the way that they did I, I, I assume it's to kind of I think the movie's about two and a half 
about two and a half hours on the deluxe version where you're looking at the two parts and for an animated movie that seems quite long yeah and it's a full length the two parts movie. separate <laughs> i think are, are almost three so they probably i don't know if they cut out some things or blend some things together better to i guess when you when you remove two sets of credits it probably you save some time there too but yeah, yeah. it's about it's about um almost three hours the two parts were together so which is quite quite a lot for you know an animated movie so i'm sure there's a lot of different things in terms of like the actual animation creating of you know that product uh the willingness of what you would expect the audience to have in terms of being able to sit down and watch a full animated movie like that but uh the two parts were uh roughly four to six months apart and in 2013, we actually got a deluxe combined edition of the two parts together. Now, the cast is actually... I found the cast quite surprising for me. You had Peter Weller as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Now, I really wasn't too familiar with his work when I you know, was looking at the cast and looking at the, the names. His name didn't stand out, but I found out he was Robocop. Which yeah. is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, um, he would actually have been I, like, I'm I'm for I'm more familiar with him, and I know him from quite a few things. Like, um, he's in Dexter, he's in Sons of Anarchy, like that's those are the things I knew him for. And then obviously, of course, um, Robocop, as you said, <laughs> for some reason that escaped my my brain there, but. Uh, yeah. You know, he was a standout. Like, when I think of uh, Batman animated movies, you know, a lot of it is, you know, like, the voice acting, right? You know, we did the Batman Year One in the last uh, part of our little Batman podcast talks. And we, we talked about how, was it, Ben McKenzie didn't do the greatest job as Batman Bruce Wayne. Peter Weller did such an amazing job as a old, you know, grisly Bruce Wayne that's, you know, been through the Gotham. Uh, he's gone through, he's dealt with the Joker, Two-Face, all these guys. He's retired, he's clearly suffered losses, like Jason Todd. Um, and then when he comes back and he's Batman, you know, you really get that so much emotion and power behind his voice and it was so amazing like I don't think I've really considered a whole lot of voice actors other than Kevin Conroy for me uh, when it came to Batman but when I rewatched this movie because it's been a couple of years since I had watched it I was really paying attention to these little things uh, Peter Weller was just such a great choice if they do any more older Batman uh, animations. I would love it if he came back. I think that'd be so cool. Well, yeah, like for me, there's there's when I think of Batman voice actors, three come to mind. Um, obviously, Kevin Conroy. Uh, he's he's the voice of our childhood and even our adulthood yeah. with the Arkham games or, or teenage to adulthood. But uh, he's great, and I love him. Then we have uh, I, I I always forget his name. And a lot of people didn't really care for him, but I thought he was a very good. He did a very good job of imitating, uh, like a young Kevin Conroy, but but also adding his own thing to it. It's the the voice actor from. Get your, sorry, the cat just put her tail in my coffee. <laughs> uh, it's the voice actor from Assassin's Creed Two. Uh, the voice actor for Ezio. 
he plays Batman in uh, Arkham Origins. Oh, okay. And a lot of people didn't even, like, for, at first didn't realize that someone else was doing it. So that's, I think that's, like, a, a good compliment to his voice there, and I, and I enjoy him. And then the third one is Peter Weller. Um, I think early on, it felt like he was just reading the lines. So it felt, like, very, like, one tone and, and basic. But I think that might be on purpose, because as the movie moves along and he starts to become Batman again it becomes much more natural and, and better. So I think that might have been like a like a read, like a like a choice, rather than anything to do with quality. But yeah, that's that's I agree. I think he's very good. He gets across uh the emotion, the gruff and like just the the kind of like weary, all knowing bat. Yeah, I like that point you just made about his uh his initial lines because, you know, the whole story that you know Bruce is going through, especially probably for the first part, I guess, would be, you know, coming to terms with he's essentially retired, but he's seeing Gotham fall apart again. So he's kind of been separate from Batman. He's almost kind of lost himself in a lot of ways, and he's kind of starting to see these things that used to torment him before, and probably that dissociated. Uh, lifestyle that he's probably been living for however many years, 10 years that character at that time um, it's not until he gets back in the cape and cowl that he's, that emotion that visceral brutality that he brings to it is finally back his monologues get more aggressive everything gets so much more uh, you know brutal Yeah, it's and like he, he found... comes across in the, uh, the voice acting, it's a great job yeah, it's like he found his passion, or like like he came back to life again, and like yeah. you, you hear it in his voice. Other uh, other cast members we have. I mean, like I said, I wasn't too familiar with a lot of these people, but uh, you got Ariel Winter as Carrie Kelly, the first female Robin. Uh, you had David Shelby as James Gordon. One guy I am slightly familiar with was Michael Emerson and he's the Joker. I remember him from Lost. I think his name is like Linus or Ben. Yeah. He's kinda of like the bad guy for the first couple seasons I thought on Lost. I didn't really recognize his voice. It's a weirder choice, I think, for the Joker. And it kind of makes me think back to our uh our last podcast in a way with like Jason Todd, Red Hood and Jensen Ackles. The how the character the physical character on screen doesn't really match the voice that I'm kind of, I feel like I should be hearing. Um, he's got like a, I don't even know how to describe his voice as Joker, but it's too, it's not like the character, the animated character is very burly in a lot of ways. Hmm. And his voice is very high. It just comes across as really weird for me, yeah. but uh, I thought he did a pretty good job regardless and then finally, you have Mark Valley as Superman, which was really cool too. Okay, yeah. So, um, as as anyone who listens to this would know, I disagreed with you on the Jensen Ackles Red Hood thing, yep. uh, but I am with you here um, to a point. So, this, in my opinion, Michael Emerson as the Joker is one of the worst, if not the worst, Joker performances I've ever seen. 
Mm. Uh, I don't think it's because he's a bad actor, because I've seen him in stuff where he is very good, like Saw, and uh, he had that oh, person yeah. of interest show and stuff. So he's he's obviously a good actor, but his voice and the way he performs the role just does not fit the Joker at all, in my opinion. And it and it t- every time the Joker was on screen and talking, it took me out of the movie, and it's. It's part of why, as we'll get to, I'll, I'll, I'll probably talk about it more later. Um, but I, I do not like part two very much. I, I found it very difficult to get through where part one felt like a breeze. So, yeah. If you're looking at it very separate, you know, part one, I would say is the vastly superior of the two parts. Um, now, obviously, to anyone kind of listening, uh, there's a lot of different plot points through the two parts and across that whole comic book series that is covered in this story. You know, you have, we've talked about it a little bit already, but Bruce Wayne, you know, he's, he retired from Batman, uh, probably a decade before the story kind of started. I don't know if it really confirms a hundred percent. Well, why he did it, but so... it's heavily suggested that it's, you know, the death of Jason Todd, and then also like a government interference. Yeah, so that kind as, of really motivated them to stop being superheroes. Yeah, as I understand it, there had been a lot of government interference going on, uh, and then when Jason Todd died, uh, which we mentioned last time, and I didn't know this until I looked it up last time. This came out well before Death in the Family. It came out before three years, three yeah. years before Death in the Family. So this was something they like decided to do entirely on their own. So it's a different death for jason todd um he would have been much older because bruce i believe is 55 in the dark knight returns so he would have been 45 when he stopped being batman so it was kind of like the pressure was was starting but he was ignoring it because as you see in, in the movie he doesn't really care about that all too much uh and then once jason died he was kind of like okay i'm done yeah you know it's we we talked about how clearly this story has influenced a lot of different works it's because of frank miller's decision to you know kill jason todd and be like hey this is this is something that happened and it really wrecked batman that they even considered actually killing jason todd you know it's and that's where you got the actual death in the family storyline a few years later because there it was such a compelling idea that hey the boy wonder dies and what does that do to Batman? Like that whole character in his story, and they obviously went with that later in time. But you're right; like it, this came out three years, I think it was, before that actually happened. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things that they touch on here. So other than that, you also have, uh, you know, Jim Gordon is retiring, and Batman is clearly retired. They're about to kind of end their journey so to speak that they've kind of been on and Gotham is slowly being overrun by these mutants these mutant gang that are kind of traditional thugs uh, you know you get Bruce's struggle to eventually fit back into the role of Batman he's obviously hasn't been doing it for a decade so he's older slower um, you get the first Carrie Kelly who's or sorry you get Carrie Kelly, who is the first female Robin. You get a final confrontation between Batman and the Joker, and then also Batman versus Superman. Like this, this story is huge in terms of its scope. 
um, and for an hour and a half each or two and a half hours uh, total, it's he, there's a lot of ground covered and they do a really good job doing it. I'm actually quite surprised. Yeah, they do. Like it's. I remember one of our big complaints about uh, Batman Year One was how much it was hard to find like a pace and how it skipped all over the place a lot. Yeah. And that was just that was not the case with this one very much. Which is so weird, right? Because, I mean, Year One is a much simpler story, and I know it takes place over the course of say a year, but in terms of what's going on, it's not very complicated. This story is so complicated, so many different plots that are going from this point, this point, this point, and it never feels like a slog. You don't have a hard time keeping up with it. It's really surprising. For sure. So, um, yeah, so I'll give my brief thoughts on on part one, I suppose, uh, and then hand it over to Matt, and I will chime in occasionally if I have anything to add or or anything like that. Uh, So for part one... I pretty much, like I said, I tried to bring this back out of memory, so I apologize if it's not very good. But uh, I love the comic book. I, it's still a book I enjoy reading. Um, it spawned two sequels that I don't like to read, so... <laughs> but um, I like to read this one, and I like this movie quite a bit, particularly part one, uh, as I mentioned. I think they made the right decision taking out the voiceover that was in the comics, and I think, I mean, year one kind of shows why that was a good idea, because year one had the voiceover and it was bad. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad they did that. Uh, the mutants have, like, a kind of slang that they use, and I both <laughs> like and hate it. Like, they, th- they say things like slice and dice and, and, <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's cool that Frank did that, because it kind of builds this world. And, like, I want to say it's annoying, like, because it is. But it's also <laughs> super realistic. Like, if you look at us, like, even the people younger than us, we say, like, YOLO and yeet and stuff like that. So, like, we, we, we do exactly what the mutants do. So I can't really, I can't really complain about it too much. Then uh, there's pretty much some, I just talked about a, a few moments I really like. So I like the, um, when Batman comes out, I guess, of retirement and a cop sees him and he's like, uh, the, you are in for a show tonight. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a part where he like cripples a criminal and there's a young cop who I guess he's young enough to not have seen the Batman in action. Uh, and he was going to shoot him. And Batman's just like, he's young, he'll live, <laughs> but you'll remember, won't you? And I'm like, oh, that's so good. Because it's like, he, yeah. he beat this criminal so bad that it's like, like you're gonna be, you're gonna live. You might not live well, but you're gonna live, and you're gonna, you're gonna remember this. Uh, it's, it's the one thing I really love about seeing an older Batman, because he knows his limits. Like he knows, he's just so in tune that he knows what he can do. And what he can't do, like, to kill someone, so he can just go all out on criminals. And he just doesn't care. <laughs> so I love that. Um, there's a plot line with Two-Face, so Two-Face gets healed, but not really. And it's pretty cool, but um, it's a thing that goes through part one and part two. There's this idiot doctor who's seemingly in charge of all the vid- all of the villains, and he just needs to get a reality check. Like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> like, he releases Two-Face. He later releases Joker. Like, my guy. Stop it. <laughs> it's really, yeah, it's actually really funny that you mentioned that, because you're right. He releases Two-Face, who immediately goes super hardcore criminal mode, and then he 
very soon afterwards, they're like, oh, the Joker. Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> I mean, this other guy was a mistake, but clearly the Joker's going to be totally fine. Lightning doesn't strike twice. <laughs> yeah, no, it's weird. Um, <laughs> I also don't... I don't much care for Carrie Kelly as a character. Like, uh, I just... Like, just how her character's portrayed, I don't much care for her. She's much better, I think, in part two and part three. The uh, Not of the movies, but, like, Dark Knight Returns part two and part three, the sequel comics. Mm. Uh, she, If I remember correctly, in part two, she becomes Catwoman. Uh, so she doesn't, like, step up to being... Batgirl or Batwoman, she becomes Catwoman if I remember correctly. But anyways, uh, in this movie, I don't really care for her, and I don't like how easily Batman accepts her, especially since this is a Batman who seemingly stopped being Batman because of the death of a Robin. Yeah. So it's like in the comic books when Tim Drake came, when he realized like that Batman needs a Robin after Jason Todd's death it was a lot of work and a lot of convincing and a lot of like very intense training before Batman would even accept him as a Robin. So like, it, it seemed weird to me, but uh, it was also weird that she's like seemingly really good at gymnastics and fighting and stuff. And they give no explanation at all. Like, well, I mean, they kind of have posters in her room about like acrobatics and stuff. Okay, and and I do think that, <laughs> I do think they explain it in the comic as well. I just don't recall them explaining it in the movie. I guess outside of outside of the posters. But she's um, I noticed and because well, we're going to talk about other movies, I noticed and I made a point of it that she's very much a kind of John Blake esque character, or I guess someone who inspired the John Blake character we see in The Dark Knight Rises. Uh the kind of person inspired by the bat who just builds themselves up because yeah. of him. And in this movie, I feel like the mutant war and like how big that threat is very much seems to come out of nowhere. Like one moment, the problem is two face. Everything's focused on two face. We know the mutants are there because they're just like random thugs doing crime. The next thing we know, there's a massive war and the mutants are getting ready to take over Gotham and like, Bruce has to go fight the mutant leader Cyclops looking dude. Uh, it just comes out of nowhere. It's just like a quick a quick switch. And it's very strange. But he wins uh, the first fight and then he fights him again later uh, in such a way that he gets the mutants to break apart. And they become different groups, which I like. I like that some of them become a group called the Sons of Batman, which I think is really cool. Because <laughs> then, like... As we know, at the end of it, he at the end of part two, like to hop forward a bit, is he starts to uh, train them essentially in the ways of Batman. So like you're gonna have like an army of Robins essentially, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, we get it. Sure, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say it's one of the things that I actually really, you know, you talk about the Sons of Batman. Um, one of the things I really appreciate. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about these four movies was the legacy of Batman, right? You know, you have in all these stories, you're talking about an older Bruce Wayne who realistically can't do it for the rest of his life. He only has, you know, he's got more years behind him than he does ahead of him. And uh, I like that this touches on like, okay, at some point, Bruce is going to die. He's not going to do this forever. What's he going to do to keep the idea of Batman uh, going forward. And I, I agree. I think the Sons of Batman was a really cool, you know, way to kind of get that across. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. 
but for for part one where it ends because as matt mentioned he watched the combined version and i only watched the parts because i didn't know there was a combined version um <laughs> this movie ends after batman beats the mutant leader and it's like again essentially put on tv and the joker sees it and it wakes him back up from his coma state that i'm assuming batman put him in uh, after it's it's like hinted that he killed robin but it's not super clear i don't think um but he wakes up and he says darling in like a really weird terrible voice that i hate but <laughs> that's that's all i had for for part one so it's yeah so part one what i really loved about this one um and it's probably a lot of the reasons why I, I love Batman Begins so much is because you really see a lot of development in your, like, your main character. And in this case, where you see, you know, he finally puts the suit back on and he goes out and he's fighting those, those criminals. Uh, I think it's like three or four guys and they're kind of going through this abandoned building. And the criminals themselves, like you, see, you can see Batman's moving and he's doing his own thing. And the criminals were like, hey, this, it doesn't feel right. Like, I can actually hear him. He, he never used to make a sound. So you can, the criminals are really kind of telling you more about how much Batman's really changed already. He's not as quick. He's not as, you know, effective as he used to be. But as you mentioned, you know, he's an older guy. He knows his limits. He knows what he can and can't do. So when he uses a grappling hook, and he struggles to pull himself up this up this line because he's so clearly probably out of shape. It's a lot harder for him to do it than it used to be. Uh, you know, he has this physical limitation. But then later when he goes into a fight with, say, the mutant leader, he's not just using his physical skill set. Like maybe he might have relied on more heavily before. He's using his, you know, his experience, his mind... You know, he's fighting this guy who looks really weird. I'm not quite a big of a fan <laughs> of the character design for the mutant leader. But anyway, uh, you know, he actually starts wrestling him in a mud pit. And you start getting that dialogue back and forth about how, you know, Batman moves slow in a mud pit. And then Batman fires back. He's like, no, we all move slower when you're, you know, waist deep in mud. Like he's using the fact that the mutant's stronger and faster than him, but by fighting in the mud, he's just slowed him down some more. He disables his arms, cuts his eyes. Like he does all this really cool stuff, and you see in part one especially that development from you know retired coming back out of it and really kind of struggling to finally coming full circle and be like, yeah, I may not be the guy I used to be. I know what I can and cannot do, but what I can do, I can do really, really well. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, you that mentioning was... that, uh, you mentioning the building scene reminded me of something that I like that I had in my notes that I couldn't, that I didn't recall, and like, like it spurned that that memory into my head where I made a point of talking about how I love the kind of um, similar, I guess, similarities between this and Year One where you get a building scene in year one as well. Yeah. Uh, where, so I, I, for some reason in my head, I thought year one came out first. It also didn't. It came out a year after this. Um, 
So he probably did that on purpose. <laughs> but uh, you get to see an experienced but older Batman and how he clears this building. And then you get to see the young, quiet, like more like ninja-like Batman, but who is less experienced, doesn't have like all the gadgets in the suit. And you get to see how they both like handle this building scenario and i think that's very cool yeah uh one thing you mentioned and i I, yeah i don't remember if it really touches on it at all is is the joker you know it kind of uh i guess part one kind of ends with him coming back back at it and the way i kind of uh interpreted the story was that when batman retired the joker kind of lost a lot of his own purpose so he kind of maybe as weird as it maybe sounds, he kind of went comatose himself because his sole purpose for being is gone. Like the Batman's gone. He's got nothing left. So he's just in his own weird mental way. He just kind of like shuts down. And it's not until that thing that Batman comes back that he's like, wait, that's the thing that I need. That's my whole reason for being. And then he finally comes out of it. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's true. I feel like yours probably makes the most sense. Batman beat him up really hard. I mean, I, I think of, it I could like very easily be both, and because I, I think you're you're not wrong with what you what you said. <laughs> um, but I mean, really, a lot of part one is just basically that, right? It's you get a lot of introduction, a lot of that initial Bruce Wayne Batman coming together. Um, one thing that I did find interesting was the use of like the TV reports in a lot of ways. Hmm. I don't know what you thought about that kind of stuff. Uh, that I, I was kind of fine with it, but also because I've been watching, um, been watching Batman beyond again Hmm. and, and the TV reports are also kind of a big, like there, there's a lot of TV reports of Batman beyond with the weird, like, fully blue lady so it, it wasn't that strange to me and it because it's a lot of um especially later a lot of the batman kind of like mythos comes from like at least in the in the within the comic world comes from how people perceive him so getting it in the, the like the news made sense i think it's going to be really fun to talk about obviously how a lot of these very similar things in terms of story and how story and uh position of the characters kind of is presented through like the media when we talk about batman versus superman yeah (laughs) i think that's gonna be really really cool because i feel like in this movie you know it's not it's very additive it's not like oh you have to be like this is the sole focus is this story is kind of like an additive piece like oh that's cool that's a I can see where this is kind of maybe going or what's going on here. But in another movie, it's like almost overbearing and it breaks down a lot of things that they didn't need to do. Yeah. But I, I, I appreciated it in this case. I thought it was something interesting when I looked at obviously both of the films after, cause I watched this one and I think I watched Batman versus Superman ultimate right after. And right after, I mean like days later. <laughs> well, yeah, but it was like the next like subsequent one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So into part two. Um, 
for some reason in my memory, I thought I liked part two more. So like when these first, I haven't watched these since they first came out. But uh, for some reason, I thought I liked part two more. I really, really do not, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier. Uh, I think that Frank Miller did not know how to write Superman. And I really dislike Superman's portrayal in this. In my notes, I wrote hate, but hate's a strong word. Uh, I strongly dislike Superman's portrayal in this. I don't like how he's like a dog for America or like a dog for the president. Like, if anything, maybe that's how they wrote Superman very early on. But that's not how he's been written for the last like 40 years. Like, he's he's here for the world like he's not here for america he doesn't really listen to the government and what they have to say like he does what he thinks is right like that's that's all superman has kind of always been so i don't like how they portrayed him in this personally um i also do not like and this might be somewhere somewhere we def definitely disagree on and i know a lot of people disagree because it's been a, a hot topic for like 30 years uh i don't like the idea at all that batman would beat superman in a fight ever uh, because he wouldn't like I know he doesn't necessarily beat him here either <laughs> like he, it just kind of ends but like come on <laughs> Superman would only lose if he wanted to or if he was completely depowered like if, if if this was like a like an actual fight in any time they had to have an actual fight and he wasn't controlled by poison ivy like he was in hush or he wasn't um, not trying to kill him. Even if he wasn't trying to stop him, he could run at super speed and flick him in the back of the forehead or the back of the head and knock him out. He could laser him from a distance through the brain. Like, <laughs> there's there's literally nothing that, that Batman could do to win this. And that's, I, I always find that absurd. And it's, and I find it absurd in Batman v Superman too. But, uh, this movie, particularly part two, I think, uh, really inspired Batman v Superman. You get the costume, you get the fight scene where, like, literal moments of the fight scene are pulled and are in Batman v Superman. Like, <laughs> so that's that's interesting. Um, the thing with Joker, so the jo he fights the Joker, and the Joker ultimately kills himself. To make it seem like Batman killed him, so that people would think Batman's a murderer, which you know that that was cool, and I like the idea of it. But first, it's super weird because he he somehow breaks his own neck merely See, by twisting his head. I know Batman had already broken his neck to an, to an extent, like to to paralyze him, and I know that like I know Batman did most of the work, but it's still weird. <laughs> and uh, second, I don't think Batman would really mind that much at this point. Like he. he he literally threw a batarang straight into the Joker's eye. Like, there's no way to 100% know that that wouldn't kill him. So I don't think he would mind too much. Um, but you, you had something to say. <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say I had I read this other interpretation for the the Joker uh, suicide sequence thing, and it was basically that like when he initially breaks his neck, he does die, but it's such a uh, it's it's almost like it breaks something in Bruce at the same time, like it like really throws him off mentally or something. So everything that he experiences from the moment he breaks his neck the first time to when the Joker breaks it himself is kind of like 
a hallucination All, almost like oh yeah almost like a hallucination in a lot of ways he's so overwhelmed by the fact that he just killed someone and he just killed the joker that you know it overwhelms him so then he's having that conversation with him still like how you know they're gonna come after me you next and you know he even tells the joker once he's on fire like stop laughing and like it just i, I read that somewhere that it's that brief period of time where they're having the banter back and forth that final goodbye it's almost all in his head he's already done the act I thought that was cool, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's, it's really I think that's really cool. I, I, if, I wish that, like, if, if that was the intent, <laughs> I wish it would have been a little more clear because I think that is very cool. But um, I guess it's kind of like the thing. It's, it's, it's not supposed to be obvious. Like, people are supposed to either come to their own conclusion or see that, like, the, the yeah. really in tune people, because it's kind of like, I guess, um, Grant Morrison was the, like a lot of people have put it forward, but Grant Morrison was the one who brought it to my attention, and I brought it up last time on the uh, on the podcast, like at the end of the Killing Joke. Joker stops laughing because Batman breaks his neck, like, exactly because he like yeah. he kills him. So like that's it's one of those things that I guess not everyone is supposed to get, or it's supposed to be left to interpretation. So you know I, I appreciate that. Um, we get Green Arrow in this movie. He appears with one arm. Uh, and he feels really forced into the movie. Like, it feels like he comes out of nowhere. I don't recall if the comic felt like that as well, or if they did a better job of, of putting him in, but it, it felt really out of nowhere. And uh, he's really mad at <laughs> Superman for some reason. I think they implied that Superman is the one who took off his arm. That's how, that's how I took it. But in the yeah. comic, uh, like, so he, Green Arrow loses his arm at some point in the comic, and I think he, like, eventually dies. Um and if I remember, he loses his arm either because Superman saved him or because he his arm was stuck to a bomb and then it blew up, like something like that. <laughs> so um, it felt, at least in my memory, it felt weird for him to be so mad. <laughs> my, my Peter just ding-dinged. Uh, okay, so yeah, so there's a... I just wanted to Google it. Um, later, it became a tribute... I guess to to this is there's a part in the comic uh, in the Green Arrow comic where he's stuck to a bomb and Superman's like I'll save you I'll sever your arm and and Green Arrow was like nah and then he blew up and died so that's, <laughs> so that's oh, okay so they, that's what they did there anyways uh yeah I don't know if you felt the same that that he kind of came out of nowhere but um yeah it, I of all the things that kind of happened in this movie um. He definitely does feel like the most like where did that come from um yeah it's it, i think they just they're just having supper or something one night he's just randomly over at his house yeah there's a scene where they're i'm trying to it's it's either before, like after the joker dies like shortly after or, or something and it just randomly pops to a scene where they're in wayne manor together yeah and, definitely and out of left weird. field yeah um <laughs> I feel like that's like he was I feel like that's if, if any point where I would have been like maybe that's something that you do change if you're not going to approach it well like I think you want as as faithful an adaptation as you can get of course and and, and I like I know it's 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 sometimes I complain when they take things out but usually I think if there's not a reason for something to be there or if you don't have a way to work it in quite as well, 
take it out. Like, it's like Peeves in Harry Potter. Like, I, I know they wanted to include him. I know they had plans to, and then it just kind of fell through, so they never did. And I'm completely fine with that because he's not so important to the story that you need to have forced him in in a kind of, like, uh, artificial way. So, and, and I feel like that that could have been a thing. Like, I know people probably would have rioted in the streets, but <laughs> they could have maybe left Green Arrow out and just had uh, the kryptonite come from somewhere else. Um, they could have had Carrie shoot it in her slingshot yeah, or something. Yeah, Carrie could have shot it, or Batman could have had, like, a, a spear-esque thing, like we see in Batman v Superman. Like, they could have done something else, but it's, it's not that big a deal. It's just, like, a, a nitpick thingy. Um yeah. The fight itself between Batman and Superman, even though it doesn't make that much sense to me, is really cool. <laughs> it's really fun to watch. Um, pretty much everything starting with the part where Superman flies the nuke into space on is super cool. And I, and like from there on, I enjoy most of the movie. Uh, and I like it, but it's another nod Batman v Superman does uh, with the nuke thing, which is cool. Um, what else? Uh, Bruce faces death during the fight, uh, so that, like to end it, and he tells Superman that he purposefully made the kryptonite weak enough to not kill Superman, but just like to make a point. He's like, I could have killed you if I wanted to, and while like my little rant earlier, I don't agree. I like that. I like that moment. I think it's a very cool moment. Like, in this story where he could fight Superman, I, I like that very much. <laughs> but uh, during this, Alfred dies of a stroke, and I'm like, I'm sitting there like, did you tell Alfred your plan? Like, that you were going to fake your death? Because if, if not, that's kind of a dick move, because he seems to die of a stroke because of hearing about Bruce's death. <laughs> like, even though Alfred was like probably 500 years old at this point, <laughs> it, still, it still sucks. Um... Uh, I didn't note these down, but they just popped into my head right now. <laughs> I just remembered it. This movie opens with a naked Nazi like woman bodybuilder with, yeah, with swastika yeah. pasties. And she fights Bruce Wayne, who is in an old granny costume for some reason. That was really weird. We get a couple <laughs> scenes of him like in costume that make no sense like i don't i don't know what he's doing but that's he's undercover man why <laughs> you can't you can't always either be bruce wayne or batman he Sometimes could be mattress malone <laughs> like why is he there though like what's his purpose for being there he wanted booze so he wins. <laughs> okay. Anyways, that's everything I can remember uh, from from part two. It's the first half. Of it's stupid. The second half of it's pretty good. Uh, of part two itself. So the so part two, like my stake in it is, I feel like it's the more controversial half. Clearly, um, you know, you have you touched on it. The death of the Joker. Um, for such a character and conflict as it is between Batman and the Joker to to kind of go the way that it did I really would have liked it much more if uh, like if that whole idea that I had talked about before where you know maybe he did have to break his neck for some reason 
like he still was trying to you know fight that urge in a lot of ways but he had no choice so he breaks his neck but it like snaps something in him and they have a more personal kind of discussion that way i mean that's my really only complaint with it i love the fact that through the joker story you know we got like if you look at joker the joker movie itself that came out was it last year or the year before now would have been last year i think last year so that whole movie like the end sequence for like what the joker does in the dark knight returns and the joker movie from last year comes from this you know the joker gets like we talked about that weird psychologist that decided super criminals deserve to be on tv but anyway (laughs) he gets them on cohen's talk show at night and he murders the entire audience yep (laughs) with poison gas he sure does (laughs) i thought that was really cool especially for what we got out of it um weird like logistics of all that aside the fact that he was even able to get on the tv show and the fact that the audience was really excited and wanted to talk to the guy that had apparently killed 650 people well the fact that the audience was even there (laughs) Like, I get you if you want to do this interview or whatever, but why was the audience there? Exactly. <laughs> like, they they literally talk on the show about how he's killed over 600 people, and they're making jokes about it. Yeah. It's just like, what? This doesn't make any sense. But it's really but, like a kind of commentary on society, because if there was yeah. something like that, we would probably do that. Like, that's the problem. Yeah, I could see it if he was really, like, I don't know. Like, uh, honestly, like, do you, if, like, I, like, just look at the stuff with Ted Bundy and how, like, all over the place he was and in interviews and, like, all the women who were, like, like, in love with him at the time. Like, it's that kind of thing, right? Yeah, but I feel like the difference being is when Ted Bundy was kind of, like, you know, really popular and everyone was like, oh, yeah, Ted Bundy. There were people that were like, ah, he didn't do it. Like, they a lot of that whole popularity with the guy I'm pretty sure was when they were during that whole trial process and like no this guy's too normal and too like suave to do the things that he's being accused of doing at this point in the movie the Joker's like yeah I've killed (laughs) 650 people I'm a really bad guy (laughs) nah he's fine (laughs) and he even says I'm gonna kill everybody in the audience and they're like huh he's clearly kidding you wouldn't kill us like come on Anyway, yes, he's uh, kidding. <laughs> I I I really liked that sequence, even though it makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, I thought it was really entertaining, and obviously we get that showed or seen in the live action Joker movie just this last year, which I thought was really well done as well. Um, another great thing that we get from the storyline was that movie. Um, following up from that is the point you made about superman and i'm not a big superman fan i've never really have been i always found he was kind of uh you know boring for the most part you know i used to watch smallville like you and i've talked about that a few times Hmm. um i I grew up watching smallville and i liked that show and you know i saw superman in um you know justice league tv show justice league unlimited so on and so forth but I didn't really care either way, like how he kind of was presented in this movie and the story in general. Uh, 
yeah, I thought it was a little outlandish that he would, for some reason, be at the United States government's beck and call. That kind of seemed a little weird. But in terms of, like, he just kind of wants to do what's right for people, I could kind of maybe get behind it in a way. Like, we talked about how there was, and they don't really discuss it, but the government interference in superhero stuff before um maybe the fact that he bowed down to the government was his kind of way to still do what he wanted to do right which which i would get if he was if it was anyone else but you're you're superman like these these people like batman seems to be the only one who knows how to make kryptonite these like unless they have like a like a, a stock of it somewhere and they're keeping you controlled which I feel like one of the later Dark Knight, uh, like the Dark Knight 2 or 3, might touch on that, that they have something over him. I honestly can't remember, and I'm not going to look it up because I don't care. But um, that would be the only thing I could think of as to why he's doing this, is if they have something on him. Because otherwise, you're Superman. They can't stop you. Do what you want. <laughs> I mean, see, the problem, I, and that's the problem I have with and that point you made is kind of why... I can see me having a, a lengthy discussion with you on Batman versus Superman. But like, even though he can do whatever he wants, I, I think part of what makes Superman's character so appealing is the fact that, yeah, he is the most powerful person ever. You can, you know, kill Batman with a flick of a finger. Like he can do all those things, but he doesn't, he does restrain himself. He does try to not, do whatever he wants yeah and that's a big part of what i talk about in batman v superman i talk about like the struggles of being superman (laughs) like i got really into it you know if uh if the government said look you superheroes are doing all this good stuff but you're also doing all this bad stuff like you know the captain america civil war kind of idea like say some sort of event like that happened and the government's like hey look globally you guys can't do this kind of thing anymore and superman's like look if the only way i can do it is to be restrained a little bit i'll do that i'll take that kind of thing even though i don't have to listen to any of you maybe in this case he kind of does i could see that and and then maybe like the argument i guess would be or the the progression would be he's been doing this now for 10 years or longer and it's just yeah. gotten to them like maybe like that's that's something i could i could accept they just but don't, they don't touch on it they don't touch on it is... exactly it doesn't come across that way yeah um and then obviously the big point would be the batman versus superman fight and i know like i'm a i'm more of a batman fan and I th- i'm sure we've actually talked about this a few times in the past I, I want to I, I want to preface before you say this because people people seem to think that like me having this opinion means I like Superman better. I enjoy reading and watching Batman stuff more. I enjoy yeah. Batman more as a character. I am just being in the I, and it's weird to say a realist, but <laughs> in this world that they've given us and that they've laid the ground rules for, I am being a realist. <laughs> that's that's yeah. all. And my. I think this is one of the only universes maybe where this would make sense that Batman would 
beat Superman. And I say that because if I can get on board with the idea that Superman has restrained himself in some capacity to, you know, be the government's lapdog, kind of, then I would, it would stand to reason that if he had to fight Bruce, who is, we know is his friend, they worked together, they were friends for who knows how long, you know, during the storyline, that even though he's been sent to muzzle or beat up the Batman or whatever, that he would not want to kill him. And you see that during the fight. He doesn't want to hurt him. He he says, like, I could end this right now, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to go that far with Bruce. Bruce, on the other hand, is like, he knows his limits. He knows what he can and cannot do. And he says in the movie, like, hey, I've been preparing for this kind of event for however long. Like, it took me years to do this. He might have done it a long time ago, before he retired or whatever but he had planned all of the stuff out designed how he was gonna you know uh immobilize superman so that when it came time he was really playing on you know clark's uh own restraint his own personality against him which like he said you know if clark wanted to be a batman type guy where he's like I know exactly what I can do, and I'm just going to go ahead and kind of do it because I need to. Yeah, Batman doesn't stand a single chance, but because of the characters and the relationships and all that kind of thing, I really do think that Batman, in the right circumstances, could wipe the floor with Superman. See, that's yeah. so. So that's 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 what I like. I was trying to get across to, and I said like they have to like Superman has to be seriously muzzled and very much not want to. To, to lose like because yeah. um, they, they and they try to do that in this movie and I think they don't they don't do a good job because there's literally parts of the movie where he's the one saying if you send me to get him I'm going to have to kill him like he says that himself like <laughs> at parts so I'm like okay well maybe don't say that like maybe be more of a putting up a fight that you don't want to do it um, yeah. and also like he he had just he had just stopped a nuke which had like emaciated him to look like a skeleton and the sun is covered by the like leftovers of the nuke and the ash and stuff so the only energy he has is what he was able to take from those flowers when he kills like the the field of flowers to restore himself a bit so he is at this point severely weakened and and like they they try their best to give like a bunch of build up as to why this is this might actually happen i still just don't buy it <laughs> like like if i like honestly if, if if you were batman and i was superman or if i was superman in this instance and i was like batman bruh <laughs> i would stand on a building far enough away that he doesn't even know i'm there and then i'm just gonna throw a rock at his head like, <laughs> like <laughs> there's so much you could do just to knock him out like that's that's why i could never buy it it's just like when when i watch the flash tv show and the, and the thing that takes me out of that is like the only reason the flash is losing these fights is because the show has written the flash to lose these fights <laughs> like he he's fighting someone and he'll run up to punch them but he'll stop running and then punch them and in that moment where he stops running is well there where they'll act against him whereas he could just keep running like 
you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff. It's the, it, that's the only thing about, and it's and it's a problem with comics in general. Like they they do it everywhere. It's like the only way you can beat a comic character is if you write them to be beat, or you introduce a character that's stronger than them. And those are the only two, like the only two ways. Yeah, and I think when it comes to you know Batman, if and, and that's see that's the problem. You're always going to run into that sort of situation with these two characters. Is that Batman is physically insignificant, so much weaker than Superman. But like, if Superman's going to go out, like hypothetically, if he's going to go up on a building and throw a rock at him from like a mile away, well then people would make the same argument well you know batman's smart enough he would know what clark was going to do because there was clearly been some sort of build-up to this sort of thing and he's got some sort of plan in place that rock <laughs> gets shot out of the air rock protection <laughs> yeah like you know what i mean like there's always going to be that argument back and forth like you know if superman was going to do this well batman would have already known he was yeah gonna do pe- it. people will make that argument and that's the problem though because that's not like I don't think that makes sense, but that's like, and then I've seen people make those arguments. Like you see, like you see that online and like, like in threads and stuff, or just when people talk about it, like they make that argument. It's like okay, that doesn't make sense though. <laughs> like like the, you're saying that, like not you, but these people are saying that you know the exact extent of all of Batman or all of Superman's abilities that Batman could be prepared for every single one of them. He could be prepared if Superman flew around the world so fast, turned back time, a la Superman 1, and, and, and killed him as a baby. Like, oh, no, I'm prepared for that. Like, no, like, I mean, like, I feel like in a lot of those cases, people are more focused on, like, okay, yeah, Superman could do these things. But Batman has kind of, like, his generic contingencies for things yeah and that, if that makes sense and some of them like, do make sense just a lot of them do not like yeah. that's 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 all my point is for that one but that's um that's the beauty of this story that's the beauty of this movie is the the conversation that it really i don't think this that concept of literally batman versus superman was really popularized until this story and then, that we saw in this movie um and that plus you know the death of the joker heck the death of alfred we got jason todd you know his apparent death like the fact that you get all of these things in one coherent story is very impressive yeah (laughs) for sure so uh we've been talking about this one for an hour so we're just gonna we're gonna cut this one and move on to uh the next film to talk about which is gonna be uh the dark knight rises so, uh, Christopher Nolan's final Batman film, as most people know, uh, The Dark Knight Rises, came out in 2012. And uh, if my memory serves correctly, this movie at the time kind of divided the fan base. Yeah. Uh, some felt it was a little too boring. Some felt that it wasn't true to the Batman character, like so on and so forth, yada yada. Uh, the critics loved it, from what I could tell, and I looked it up at the end uh, right before I watched it. Um, it was mostly positive, glowing reviews, uh, and at the time, I loved it, um, mostly because of Tom Hardy's Bane, and if I'm being honest, uh, who I still quote to this day, as Matt knows, because I texted him the quotes the other day. <laughs> but um, 
This movie, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure we we saw this together in theaters, right? I think we did, yeah. The only reason I could think of like that if we wouldn't have is if you would have been away when it came out, but I don't... I, I, don't, I, I was not yeah. at that time. So yeah, we would have seen this together, uh, either just us or likely with Coven. Um, so we went... That's that's fun. <laughs> Not really relevant, but I just couldn't remember, so I wanted to ask. Um, and as I mentioned at the at the top of the podcast, we're talking about this one because because Matt wanted to, uh, and two because it, it, like he said, it's very heavily based on the Dark Knight Returns uh, thematically and in specific scenes, uh, while also being based on the Nightfall story arc with the man who broke the bat. Um, those are probably the two biggest. I, I would say. Uh, inspirations or for for this movie, if, yeah, maybe No like, Man's Land as well. So those two in No Man's Land, probably the three of them, would make up this film. Yeah, I'd agree to that. It's uh, and to to a point, I would recall from what I remember of the when this movie was coming out, you had actually quite a few. Uh, controversies or conflicts in a lot of ways with this movie in particular um i remember when the dark knight oh just the dark knight sorry when the dark knight just comes out uh you know not long afterwards or i guess technically before but heath ledger dies and the original plan for nolan's batman trilogy was i i'm pretty sure going to be uh the third movie be a joker based movie as well i think it was so, supposed to be either in part or uh it fully i don't i don't recall but it was he was gonna be in it yeah yeah so when obviously heath ledger died they didn't want to just recast his joker they had to move on to a different uh character and i mean we don't know for sure i don't think that you know bane wasn't going to be that in the third movie anyway but I had the sense that when I watched this, that it wasn't really part of the original plan. You know, um, you get the return of the League of Assassins, Shadows, however you want to look at it. Uh, you get them back. You have Bane as a, a, a former member, so to speak. And you have Batman coming back years, years later. I, I believe at the time... Uh, a lot of the controversies stem from the fact that people weren't really okay with the fact that they were doing a story without Heath Ledger, and obviously they had no choice. But then they went this alternative route with a character that, you know, how long was it before Batman and Robin? Maybe ten years. It was something it like was, that. Uh, it was eight, I believe. Eight years. Yeah. So the Bane in that movie was awful. <laughs> absolutely awful yeah <laughs> and i think for a lot of people they're like okay you gave us the joker and now the villain you're going to give us is that big dumb wrestler character from that movie from eight years ago and then the trailer started coming out and people couldn't hear tom hardy's voice acting apparently they had to you know redo or readjust a lot of like audio and like post-production i remember that being a thing and then as well, I've noticed with this film in particular, a lot of the choreography um, isn't good. <laughs> isn't very good. Yeah. No. Like you see guard, like uh, people randomly falling down in the background when 
Bruce and Catwoman are on the rooftop fighting for the first time. Like, this random guard's waving his arms and awfully just falls over. It's just like, what? <laughs> yeah, one thing I noticed, uh, though, kind of watching back, is the only movie that really had good choreography was the first one. Which is funny, because a lot of the choreography, as far as I could tell, was very quick-cut, out-of-focus combat yeah which is probably why it was good because <laughs> yeah, they no. do a lot of let they do a lot less quick cuts in in this one it's more like not one shot but more one shot ask and it's why i think you can see some of the weakness to it and i remember i remember reading something that um christopher nolan had a very hard time coming back after the dark knight because i think you're right in that they they obviously had a plan and the plan had to change and i think he had trouble coming up with anything to do and i think he, i think he wrote the dark knight rises fairly quickly like he got he got like an inspiration and then he wrote it or they wrote whoever wrote it uh, the goyers and stuff and he and he came up with a like something very quickly before they yeah. started shooting so i think they, it just did not have a lot of time to it you get a lot of that yeah in terms of like the polish and focus that you get in batman begins and the dark knight it doesn't really land the same way in the dark knight rises and it's not a bad movie by any means but it's definitely not the strongest of the three and i definitely think that you know uh nolan i believe is quite a bit of a visionary he doesn't really do sequels or trilogies and he does a lot of like one-off things yeah and for him to probably have had a plan that completely went the other way after Heath Ledger died you know I definitely think that is reflected in you know a lot of a lot of things with this movie oh yeah well and, like even like look at me like I lost my notes for the movies and I felt disheartened by that like I, I can't imagine yeah. like this is someone like not even just from a work perspective like this is like you you had this in mind you've grown attached to it but you also grew attached to like Heath Ledger as a person and this is like like a person that you are close to because it seemed like they got fairly close and like that's all gone so i can see why it would have been very tough to come back and i can see probably why the product might not have been what everyone wanted yeah but um so i watched this movie a couple weeks ago so i I had watched it before you had said you you wanted to do it uh like two like maybe two or three days before so i i just i decided not to watch it again i just sat down and wrote most of my notes uh off of memory mostly and then using like the internet and and watching some specific scenes again um but for this one the new cast additions because pretty much everyone is the same from batman begins like they they're still around most people are the same um but for this one we have anne hathaway as selena kyle uh, we have Tom Hardy as Bane. We've got Marion Cotillard as Miranda Tate. And we have Joseph Gordon-Levitt as John Blake. Those are the main new people, and I think they're all great in their roles, and I enjoy all of it. Um, I obviously left one out. I left out Ben Mendelsohn because I do not like his sniveling, very obviously a bad guy character. <laughs> it seems to be his default role. Uh he, anytime I see him in a movie, he's that. Uh, so I, I, just, I don't particularly care. But Who? yeah, uh, Ben Mendelsohn, he's the. Deckett? Deckett. Deckett. Yeah, Deckett or Beckett, whatever his name is. Oh, I like him. I don't. 
Like, he just plays the same character all the time and, like, a very yeah. obvious bad guy. Like, he does that in Rogue One. He does it in uh, Ready Player One. A lot of ones. Uh, he does it, and he does it in this. Um, do you have any thoughts on the cast before I kind of get into the, the movie? Yeah. Uh, you know, like Heath Ledger, I believe in a lot of ways Anne Hathaway had some criticism and uh, controversy with her casting choice as well. That when I see when I saw like the live performance I was I thought she did an amazing job like that first interaction between uh, Bruce and Selena I thought was just perfect you get that sheepish maid ploy that she has and then she instantly flips it on a switch when she knows she's been had and she there's Catwolf and like it was instantaneous and she plays that very uh, effectively throughout the entire movie when she needs to yeah but at the same time you also see that she's conflicted too and she plays that she's basically playing you know you got Catwoman, you have like selena kyle the kind of like uh how would i describe her kind of like the successful assertive girl and then you have the real innocent person like she just wants a second chance she wants to get out of the life you know she plays these kind of three uh, personalities so well and uh i thought she was a great choice as an addition i thought she was a great choice i would have loved to have seen more yeah i um i don't want to sound like one of those people who was like i knew all along it's only <laughs> in these two instances so there's a lot of hate around heath ledger being cast as the joker and there's a lot there was a lot of hate around Selena Kyle being cast as uh, Catwoman. As I mentioned, I was not aware of the Dark Knight until like a month before it came out. But 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 I was very familiar with Heath Ledger before that, so I didn't know he was cast as the Joker until like very shortly before. So I guess I didn't have a lot of time to see the hate and stuff. But once I found out about it, I was like, why? Like he's great in everything he's in. He's very good. Like, A Knight's Tale, even though that's a comedy movie, is an incredible film. Like, it's so yeah. good. And then it's the same kind of thing for Selena Kyle. I was more aware of it from when she was cast, like, from the beginning. But I am a fan of Anne Hathaway. I had been for a while. I had seen, um, like, obviously, the, the Disney movies she was in, The Princess Diaries and stuff. But she also did, like, Havoc. And she did, uh, she was in Brokeback Mountain, which I never watched. But I hear she did very good in, like... She's a solid actress, so I didn't get what the hate was for her. So I, like, I was, I was personally on board for that. But I, I, I do like what you said about the, um, about like her character because I, I, I touched on it later in my notes, but I'll just bring it up now because we're talking about her. Uh, I think she plays Selena Kyle great. Like she, the way she acts, like, like the way Anne Hathaway acts, but also the way that Selena acts in, at times. Like, yeah. the attitude, her fight scenes, like, even though the choreography's not great, when she's just kind of doing her thing on her own, I think it's really good, and it all works. Uh, and I love the line that she says, um, once you've done what you had to, they'll never let you do what you want to, because it sums up her entire character arc and development throughout the film. Like, she yeah. feels trapped in this, I've done what I had to, so they're never going to let me do what I want, so I have to get out from this and then over the movie she just kind of accepts you know what I can just do what I want anyways and that's kind of like when she truly becomes like the Catwoman of the comics 
who kind of just does what she wants all the time. And I feel like that's kind of that thing. And I think um, just her and Christian Bale have great chemistry. So I, I really like her performance in this. Yeah, I agree. The other, uh, I think it's interesting. It'd be interesting to talk about would be Tom Hardy's Bane. I know you'd probably have more to say on it than I would, but uh, you know, I'm I've always been a fan of Tom Hardy's work. I think he's a physically impressive actor. Uh, I love what is it he did Warrior. Yeah, Warrior I don't know where incredible. that kind of fits in the timeline between that movie and this movie. Uh, he did but... Warrior before this, so he, if I remember correctly, he bulked up for Warrior. Then he lost the weight for something else and then he bulked up for this yeah like he's he's a lot like bale in the sense that he can he really throws himself into roles in terms of like how his weight can change from uh from role to role yeah he like he acknowledged like he's someone who acknowledges that like how much of acting comes from a physical perspective so yeah. he he changes his phys, like his his physiology the physiology is probably not the right word but like he changes his body to fit his roles because like he's not a tall man no but Bane the just the way he portrays Bane where he kind of has like the hunched back and his arms are always kind of forward to like support like how massive he is he seems enormous <laughs> yeah and I mean the funny thing is is you know that being said like comic wise i guess traditionally bane's a really big guy um tom hardy's bane i mean it's the limitation of live action obviously but like he's when later in the movie you see them all outside you know bane batman surrounded by thugs and police officers they're really not that much bigger than the average person well and bane wasn't always that big like as i understand it he he was he was in shape and he was fit but it wasn't really until the Venom that he started to get like massive, massive. Like, cause even in like, yeah. I think in the in Nightfall, he wasn't huge. Like, he's he's imposing and he's tall, but he wasn't like gargantuan. That came more from like the animated stuff and later in the comics, and of course the the big roidy wrestling guy. <laughs> I I haven't read a lot of Bane stuff myself. I know the cover <laughs> of. Bane's first appearance he's not a very big looking guy he looks I would say very comparable to what you'd see with Tom Hardy but then the Nightfall covers he is giant well yeah so like, like if you just huge. if you just google like Bane Nightfall uh, on yeah. on google dot I guess dot com and go to images like the fourth image he's he's like he's holding Batman up but he's pretty similar in size to Batman like like he's bigger than him obviously but he's not like three times the size of him as sometimes he's portrayed as yeah so uh i think the movie does recognize like nolan did recognize the fact that you know we have to make this character look really big and menacing because at the end of the day bane's purpose you know whether you can kind of you agree or disagree but uh he's just supposed to be a physical opponent to bruce's batman and you know he does that very well and nolan throughout the whole movie you know has people mention like you know you're 
oh, was that guy say right away when they meet something about him being like a big guy oh little finger tom Hardy says like yeah little finger <laughs> says like you know you're a big guy then tom Hardy's like for you like he he acknowledges the fact that he is big and menacing but he's not overwhelming but well that the whole movie you see how much of brutality shows throughout all the scenes i agree with that but that 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 scene's a little different so the for you is when he when he says if i take off that mask will you die and he says it would be extremely painful for you you. like if you take it off i will hurt you kind of thing but yeah no he's he's not like he lets his like just power of his like of his person yeah. be what makes him massive like when he lays his hand on uh on Deckett like he doesn't grab him he doesn't do it he just lays his hand there he's like you feel in charge <laughs> such a power move man like holy smokes but yeah no I, I I personally I love Tom Hardy he's one of my favorite actors going um and I think he plays this very well the only thing uh I don't quite like about Bane in this is that the thing that movies seem to like to do is they like to make Bane a henchman. Yeah. Where Bane in the comics is the only thing that, like, he, he has the mind of someone like Bruce Wayne. Like, he has, like, an incredible mind. And he's very smart. And usually the only thing that ever leads to his downfall is his addiction to Venom and being physically powerful. Like, that is usually the only part that, that like, the only problem. Well, yeah. I mean, in the comics, I'm pretty sure... Bane's first plan uh, to kind of you know screw around with Batman is he releases all the criminals in Arkham. Yep. And he makes Batman kind of run around with his head cut off trying to get everybody locked down again. He just completely drains them before before they know, fight. Bane yeah gets his hands off. Yep. So like he's planning. He's very smart. He plans ahead on a lot of these things. And like you said, in this movie, he is unfortunately uh, a lackey. Sorts. Yeah, so I I choose to believe that even though he is a lackey, I, I choose to believe that this is his plan. <laughs> and, 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 but yeah, um, is there anything else you have on the cast or? Uh, I do have one. Okay, shoot. So the one other person I'd really like to talk about that, I mean, for the most part, gets flack in this movie, is kind of Talia Al Ghul. Um, it kind of comes to the same point we were just kind of talking about with Bane about how um, he isn't the one running the show. It's essentially Talia. Now, I I don't recall how familiar I was with Talia like before this movie. Like I had seen her a few times, obviously, in the Batman animated series. But in terms of like prominence, she wasn't really high up on my uh, roster of, of characters. So one of the things that I you'll see a lot of people discussing specifically with this movie is how the character of Miranda Tate and Talia Al Ghul kind of play out. I do really like that in terms of plot if they didn't have the Joker they had to go back to the League of Shadows. And a great way to go with it would be, you know, Ra's al Ghul is dead. Let's bring in Talia. That's she's coming back for revenge on uh, Batman for 
killing her father. It doesn't really make sense why it would take so long. <laughs> the guy's been retired essentially for eight years. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense to me that in that entire length of time, they couldn't have just destroyed Gotham without him. Like why they had to, I mean, I don't know if they planned on him coming back or what, but like they were clearly working with Bruce before this movie started. And then their plan went away and they just kind of what? They were in a stalemate? Yeah. Waiting for him to maybe show them the reactor. It was weird. Their, um, their plan doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. I think, like, I think if you want to new Gotham, just new new Gotham. But <laughs> I, my assumption was that they needed Bruce to show Talia where the reactor was. But I think, like, the, I agree, like, the realistically like if this was a real thing they would have found a different way like if they're like okay it's been five years he still hasn't shown us this stupid reactor <laughs> yeah. let's just go buy a dirty bomb or two like or it's like bane you guys clearly know bruce wayne is batman just go to his house and break the guy's back just shoot him in the head <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. just do something like drag alfred out and then have him come like show you the reactor like it's it's not complicated and unfortunately her character the like the, the plan that she supposedly has like this grand idea it doesn't really hold up when you really look at it it does not no i agree and then obviously you have her really awesome death scene oh it's terrible the it's so bad <laughs> it's the best death scene i think i've ever seen on anything when i when i watched this i was like so even now like even then i was like she's so she's not dead <laughs> like, so because because it's either so poorly act like it's so poorly acted that she either is not dead or they were so out of time when filming it that they just didn't have time to reshoot it enough to get a good take like yeah. it's awful she's just like and now my plan is done <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was pretty it was pretty impressive oh it's terrible i hate it <laughs> so i don't know like we just kind of we went over the casting quite a bit. Uh, Plot-wise, I think what's uh, one of the reasons I really wanted to talk about this one is similar to the Dark Knight Returns, like the motivation for Batman going into retirement. Uh, what you see is the fact that at the end of the Dark Knight, you know, Batman uh, saves Jim Gordon and his kids. They lock up a bunch of criminals. Harvey Dent has died. And he just retires. But when you really think about it, when you're looking back at, say, The Dark Knight Returns, Batman supposedly retired because of you know the death of Jason Todd and whatever other kind of government stuff motivated him retiring. Um, in this particular movie, it takes place like eight years later. I never really bought the idea that he became a recluse just because the energy project didn't work like well so, kind of so he became he became a so the as i understand it and i could be completely wrong as i think the energy project was happening before the dark knight oh really okay. i think so um and then i think he kind of became a recluse after rachel died and that's the thing i wanted to get onto is that like Jason in The Dark Knight Returns, 
Batman in this series kind of retires after the death of Rachel Dawes and doesn't come back until, you know, he realizes that Gotham needs him and Batman again. I thought that was really cool. See, I, I also think that's cool. And I, and I saw, like, I, I obviously saw that that was what they were going for. Like that was their adaptation, especially when I watched it again. Now it's like, okay, this is what they're doing. They're trying to recreate this, except instead of Rob and it's Rachel. My problem is that I do not think, as someone who's read a lot of the comics and who's watched pretty much everything that they have put out about Batman, um, I don't think that they did a good job enough making it that this is enough for him to hang up the cape. Like, I personally, I don't like it. Every other time we see Batman have to hang it up, it's literal death. It's government pressure and the death of his Robin. It's his back getting broken. It's being laser beamed by Darkseid into the past. Like, like losing a girlfriend that wasn't even his girlfriend like, would not do it. If anything, it would make him go further into being Batman. Like That's how we, at least he's always been portrayed before. So I felt it was kind of not Batman-ish. Um, and then... The worst thing about it, too, is that, like, okay, I can accept that there's reasons in this movie for the first time he hangs it up. Like, I get, I could I, I see what they're going for, and I'm like, okay, I'll buy it. The problem is, he then hangs it up again, and I yeah. hate it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I hate it so much. Like, the second time, what are you doing, man? Like, that's one thing about the Dark Knight trilogy that I think is not so great is that Christopher Nolan seems to have created a Batman. So he created a Batman where his goal was to not be Batman anymore, like to get things good enough to not be Batman. And that's not really Batman. Yeah, they really started that in the the Dark Knight when they were trying to get Harvey Dent on board. You're right, yeah, they're they're... He's trying to fix Gotham, but then he wants to be able to just sign off at the end of it. Um, and yeah, that's that's not that's not Batman. <laughs> like that's that's never been Batman. Like sometimes, like he 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 plays with it sometimes, or he thinks about it, but he always ends up going nah. Like we need a Batman, and it will be me as long as I can, and then it will be someone else. Like that's that's Batman. <laughs> well, I, I actually, I like, I didn't mind it so much in the dark Knight because you know, at least in that one, when they're talking about it, I got the sense that he's like, yeah, you know, I don't want to do this forever. I do want to just fix Gotham and maybe move on. I have Rachel. I want to have a life with her. I want to fix the city and make up for, you know, my parents' death and so on and so forth. But then at the end of the movie, I kind of, I, at least I had the sense that, he is committing to it he's like i have to just keep doing this i it's not as easy as me being able to just pass it on to somebody else because the best option we had just went completely insane yeah i agree that's one of those things that you could tell uh was changed with the death of uh with heath ledger yeah um but yet and, and, and like i said like it's not it's not a problem. It's just, I like I'm fine with it because I like I still love the movies. I still love watching them, uh, like all three of them. 
it's just not super in line with the Batman of like the comics and stuff is all my point was there before anyone like hops on that. <laughs> um, so obviously one of the other really cool, uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of my comparisons with these movies with like the dark Knight returns. Um, and one of the things I like when we talked about it, when we talked about the dark Knight returns was that Batman comes back on the scene, you know, his first appearance back after all these years and you got like that old cop riding in the car with the young guy and like the lights are going out in, like that tunnel. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see like the Cape, like Batman's Cape fluttering by. And then, uh, you kind of see a glance of him. The old senior cop is like, Oh, you're in for a show tonight. And, you just get the sense of like, yeah, like this guy's been around. He's seen this stuff. It's so cool. You're excited too. Cause I think at that point in time, it's probably been like 40 minutes of the movie. And you still haven't seen Batman yet. Yeah. That's, so you're like, as much as really I love that moment, as much as and, I love that as a moment and I love seeing it, I feel yeah. like it's not as earned. Like I, I obviously get that. It's a callback to, um, to dark Knight returns, yeah. but realistically, he was Batman for three years. Oh, yeah. That's it. Like, uh, like, like three years of 11. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I get, like, but, the, like. I, he it, made an impression in those three years. Yes, yes, he did. And, and, and it's, it, it was probably a big one, but, like, enough that, like, cops would be like, oh, boy, here we go. Like, <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I mm. But yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> um, so like later after that, you not really all that important, really plot stuff. Nothing really crazy happens, but you get the random introduction in a lot of ways of that uh, Blake character, mm-hmm. John Blake. who's basically Robin, yep. but not Robin. Yep, and it's his pitch his idea for how he just picks up on who bruce is like who batman is i felt like it was weird for me i don't know if you felt like that as well uh oh, I, think it's, first... I think it's very dumb <laughs> okay good good happy to hear that the only reason i accept it so i think it's a dumb reason and i think it barely works but the only reason that i accept it is because um tim drake realized that dick grayson was robin by watching him do flips so like it's not always a cool discovery (laughs) like like he had seen dick grayson at the circus and knew that dick grayson was the only person who could do like this specific kind of like quadruple flip and then he saw robin doing the exact same flip not too long after so he's like okay then dick grayson's robin and then from there he was like okay bruce wayne's batman like they do really stupid reveals in the comics sometimes too. So I was like, okay, whatever, fine. <laughs> but in this case, it's like, I saw that same face in the mirror before you look depressed and I look depressed too. And I know how you feel. We're depressed bros. <laughs> We're depressed bros and you're a billionaire. So it only makes sense that you're Batman. I'm like, the heck? What? <laughs> it felt weird. It, I don't know. It just felt like it wasn't good enough. I feel like to too. Justify. With, with especially with how the the humor works in these movies, he should have been like, "Well, and also like, you came back and then Batman appeared." <laughs> like, 
yeah. <laughs> you reemerged to the public. Batman reemerged. Like, like, <laughs> like, just do that kind of matter of fact joke. Like, tell your little orphan story and stuff. But then at the end, like, as a, as a zinger here, would be like, and, and like, lay out all the stuff that makes it super obvious. <laughs> and uh, that would honestly probably even work even better because one of the things that, I mean, I don't know if, how you feel about it, but like, you, this Batman's very brawlery and a lot of computer crunching of things like i don't feel like there's a lot of cliche detective work per se and if you just had like uh robin in this case be like yeah you know bruce wayne came back and batman showed back the same like in the span of a few days one and one is two and it makes sense like that'd be like the best detective work ever i'm like yeah you should be the next batman yeah, no, I think that I think showing like that would have worked, especially where we see him get promoted to be like a detective. Like, <laughs> they could have, spe- especially with how long this movie is, they could have taken some time from somewhere and put in a little bit about him discovering who Batman is. Be like, I be like, I had I had an inkling from this time that I saw you and I saw your eyes and then I saw Batman, I saw Batman's eyes or whatever the heck he says. Um, and then, and then, but I also like, I, I put two and two together from the kind of easily laid out obvious facts you left behind. Like, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so the only other big like comparison in point is we talked about the legacy of Batman. In The Dark Knight Returns, you had him creating the Sons of Batman, per se. And you get the idea that his goals are going to live on, even if he doesn't. In this story, uh, you know, when all's said and done, he decides to hang up the cape and cowl again. And Bruce kind of fakes his death and gives Robin a note that says, hey... Here's the location of my back cave, and you kind of take over. So you kind of get it, maybe an idea that the legacy of Batman will continue. Like Jim Gordon got a new searchlight, so he knows that there's going to be a Batman or someone for him to call. Uh, the Bat Cave has been founded by a new guy who's probably not going to do a great job, but <laughs> there's not a whole lot of super super villains left to really worry about. So, you know. Yeah, he's kind of just there to be the boogeyman. <laughs> yeah, he's going to put on the cape and cowl. And, like, does he have the money and resources to do all this? Or what? No, no, I don't think Bruce got his money back, so probably not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, those are those are the main comparisons I noted, too, to uh, the, the, you know, the one <laughs> Dark, Dark Knight Returns. Um <laughs> That, the use of the nuke, uh, the kind of like snowy city at the end, uh, that kind of stuff were just little things that I, that gave me the vibes. Um, the bat, the scene with the two with the bat in the alleyway where they have the, him cornered in the alleyway and then he comes out with the bat. I feel like that's kind of an homage to um, Year One and Dark Knight Returns when he actually like summons like literal bats to come at people. I feel like that, that was kind of an homage to that. But um, the only oh. things. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. How awesome was that flaming bat part? A flaming bat. 
Yeah, the city's about to get blown up by a nuke, and he's got time to... Oh, he's got time to paint a bad on a bridge? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. <laughs> love it so much. Um, <laughs> so I, like, like I said at the beginning, I, I went off memory for this one, so all I did was I, I created two lists. The things I liked about this movie, and the things I did not like. <laughs> so I thought I would just go through that. Uh, some of it I touched on when you were when you were talking about things, so I'll try to skip over those. Um Bane, first off, Bane. Love Bane. Love Tom Hardy. I love his gorilla-esque warfare on the city and all of his speeches. I think they're all fantastic. Um, I love when Bruce goes to visit the doctor and he's like, I've seen worse cartilage in knees. And he's like, oh, that's good. No, that's because there is no cartilage in your knees. <laughs> uh, oh, so good. And that kind of, I, I guess, because this just occurred to me and it's not on my list, but it's something I didn't like was... Um, they did not do a good job of explaining how he got injured. Um, in my mind, he got injured when he was escaping the cops because he, like, he, at, at the end of Dark Knight. So he, like, it's all his injuries from fighting the Joker, fighting Harvey Dent, and then escaping the cops because it's pretty much said that he's not Batman again after that point. So he wouldn't have gotten hurt elsewhere. So I'm assuming that's from that, but I think they did a bad job of explaining it because, like, I. I I like to watch a lot of people react to things on YouTube. It's just, it's a weird thing I enjoy. I know some people hate it, and I know some people also like it, but I see a lot of people who watch this movie for the first time, and they are like, why is he hurt? What happened? Like, they do a very poor job of getting that kind of stuff across in this, and that's mm. one thing I didn't like, but that just occurred to me. Um, so there's notes on Selena Kyle, who we already talked about. Uh, one thing I'll add to it, though, is when I... I, I like I said that I think they have great chemistry, and it's the only time when Bruce Wayne is out as Bruce Wayne, and I think it doesn't feel like he has a mask on, because like the big thing is like is Bruce Wayne is like a character a character caricature of a rich person most of the time when he's out and about, but when it, when he's with Selena he's just like he's essentially Batman without the costume like he's just himself, and it's kind of like the same that he. It's, it's the same kind of thing that he's like when he's with Alfred or Lucius. It's that kind of Bruce, and so I really like that. Um, I did like the re-inclusion of Ra's al Ghul and the League of Shadows stuff. I like that it came back around. Like, the, f yeah. the first one was about this. The third one was about, like, the last one was about this. I like that, that they came back, and that there's essentially a new demon's head, as it were. Um, I, when I read up, I read up on some, some stuff about this movie, uh, and apparently, so... It, as I read it, uh, Bane is not like subservient to Talia. They're apparently leading the League of Shadows together, but I don't really know uh, for sure. That could have just been one person's interpretation of it, so it's not really that important. Uh, I like the sequences of the city being taken over and the sequences of Bruce in the pit. Pretty much all of Bruce's time in the pit, I think, is great. Yeah. Uh, I also enjoy the pit flashbacks, and I like the big twist of Miranda Tate being Talia, and that her being like with with Bane. Uh, I was not surprised by it at the time for multiple reasons. <laughs> First, as soon as they mentioned in the movie that there was a child of Ra's al Ghul, I knew it was either Talia or Nyssa. So I I feel like I even leaned to you and I said when we were at this movie, or whoever I was with, I probably leaned to and I said, it's either Talia or Anissa. <laughs> like, um, second, I was familiar with Joey King, and I recognized her. So she plays the young 
Talia in the, in the pit. And it's like I like I'm like that's a girl. I know that's a girl. So um, either they're just using a female actress or it's Talia Nissa. So I was like it's it's obviously Talia Nissa. And they also show like I recognize Bane's hulking figure as her protector. Like that's clearly yeah. Tom Hardy. <laughs> but it's still cool and it was still well done. Like so like if you're not as in the know I feel like you could have been fooled by this because, like I said, I watched people react to it, and they are fooled by it. So, yeah. uh, and I love that they build it up because it's like it's not it's not like an it's not an obvious twist. I just saw it coming. It just it's it's not an obvious twist. But like at the same time, after you know, it's like right. Why else was this random lady here getting herself involved with everything? Like it's yeah. it's brilliant. <laughs> um. I like Scarecrow's random reappearance. Like, they just kind of put him in here to put him in here, and I like it. <laughs> like, the death or exile, the death equals death by exile. Like, I think that's... It's it's great that he's been in all... Like, he's a consistent character across all three. I, Scarecrow's such a cool character, and it's not, like... Uh, I can't pronounce his first name, but, like, uh, the actor does such a great job. I think it's uh, uh, Kieran. Kieran Hines. Kieran? Yeah. Kieran, okay. Yeah, he does such an amazing job. That kind of, like you said, death by exile. It's almost like sarcastic, and it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I touched on the Dark Knight Returns moments, so those are good. Uh, the only thing I, I added, which but you kind of touched on, I think the ending with, of Blake in the Batcave is very reminiscent of the Batman's like speech to the Sons of Batman at the end. Um, it gave me some of those vibes. Uh, Liam Neeson's scene is also great. I wish he actually came back via Lazarus Pit, but I know that they were trying to go for a very realistic uh, world in this, so that makes sense why he didn't come back. Yeah. And uh, what I didn't like, unless you have anything you want to add to the to the what you liked. Mm. No, you've pretty much covered on everything that I I did like. One thing I hoped they did that they didn't do was. Like that one scene where Talia and Bruce hook up, like I don't know, maybe you do like a Damien thing in the future. And like, they they could like there could be a fan fiction out there or something or or a, a comic where you know it's picks up John Blake is Batman. Uh, Talia didn't die as obviously <laughs> portrayed by her very very realistic death scene. <laughs> she well no like I meant like in terms of like when they hook up and then. Bane breaks his back and he gets thrown in the pit. Maybe there's like a nine month gap. Oh, yeah, I guess. She has yeah. a baby then, and then she goes back. Because I forgot that. Yeah, I forgot that it had been like like months. So, but I don't remember how it, many months it was. Was it three or six? I think it was like three months. I'm sure it wasn't long enough for a baby. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, the only other thing I would have liked is if somehow, and I know, like it's pointless to even to bring it up, but the trilogy would have been so much cooler if somehow, uh, oh, Talia's character was in the second movie, even just a minor role. She was just there. Yeah. You know what I mean? The breadcrumbs for the third one were laid out beforehand. But... I feel like I feel like if if the, if like if this was their plan, like if this third movie was what they were gonna do, then then she probably would have been. But, yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. But that's it for me. Okay. So what I didn't like, 
you touched on it, but John Blake's reason for knowing who Batman is, I think it's dumb. Uh, further, I think the Robin thing is really stupid. I know why yep. they did it. It's just for the fans, like all of the fans who are watching it to go, ooh, on a, like on a large scale. But I think like you, you could have been a little more subtle. Like his <laughs> his real name, like you could have called him like Richard, Richard Blake, and his legal name could have been Richard Grayson or something or or, or like anything. Like they could have done anything else. Even like it doesn't have to be Dick. It could have been any of the Robins or even like just a known Batman character. Like his name could have been, uh, I don't know, John McGinnis. And they're like, you should use your real name, Terry, <laughs> or something. Like, yeah. I, I don't, I didn't like that. Uh, it, it, it was cheesy. And, and obviously, like anyone who's super familiar at the time when these were being made knows that Christopher Nolan does not like Robin. And he very much said that he had no intention of bringing Robin into the movies. So it's not surprising that it was kind of poorly handled. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I didn't like was the length. Uh, the movie drags on before the Bane and Batman fight and after. Uh, too much time is spent in like the isolated Gotham where like nothing's happening after like Bat or after Bane takes it over. It's just not great. Um, I don't like the fight scene, the Bane Batman fight scene. It's not good, as we touched on the uh, the the choreography is not good. There's so many punches you see that just like hit nothing. Um, it's only saved by the awesome Tom Hardy dialogue and like the theory of the fight itself. Like this is Bane fighting Batman. It almost gets a pass just for that. <laughs> like, uh, but it's I, I didn't like the the choreography of the fight uh, itself, other than the the dialogue. Yeah, seeing Batman out in the sunlight's weird. Like it doesn't like the costume isn't really made to be out in the sunlight. Well, I actually, so, I actually like the second fight, the one in oh, really? in front of the police station. Yeah, I like that because just this, the part of him when he hits Bane and his thing pops out like the piece of his mask, and he gets so mad that he just starts throwing like body shots at him, and he moves and he just punches the column. Like yeah. you, you can see that Tom Hardy was still very familiar with his warrior training, so like those those are like legit like good punches to that column, like. I enjoy that one. I enjoy that fight. I, ju- I don't like the sewer one. It's the one I... I, I see, I I loved the sewer one. See, I love everything in the sewer one, except for the choreography. Yes, okay, I agree with that. Especially the part on the walkway. It gets better once they're in the dark, because I think it's easier to hide some of the stuff. Like when he grabs him by the throat, or when he breaks his back, or he breaks his mask. Like that stuff's all good, but the stuff early on in the walkway is bad. And there's a, like I I remember seeing at least two or three like very obviously missed punches. Like his jumping punch. Thing the jumping punch, yeah. The early punches to Bane. Like he he hits him, and Bane kind of moves forward, like as if he's reacting. But you could see that it didn't. Like the punch didn't go near him. Like it's it's. Eh. I didn't catch that. Um. We talked about Tyler's death scene. Uh, I don't like it. Uh, their plan doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. Especially, like, let's let's pretend that they needed to Bruce to show them where the reactor was. Okay. You get the nuke. You set it up. You leave. You set it off. Like, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, their plan really was just based on the idea like we're gonna let bruce recover 
Like we're gonna let his his back recover, and we're just gonna torture Gotham. Well, his like, plan, we're not like, gonna blow it up right away. We're yeah, let it slow burn. The plan was kind of like we're gonna give him every opportunity to stop this. <laughs> Let's give him all the chances in the world to beat us, and then when we win, it'll be even sweeter. <laughs> it's like, d- it's dumb. <laughs> The only other thing they could have done was literally build a ladder in the pit. <laughs> yeah, drop a ladder down for him. <laughs> like, like, like having been watching him and see him like fail to make the jump three or four times. So they just <laughs> they just descend a ladder. Like they're like, okay, <laughs> this is sad now. <laughs> oh god, uh, yeah. And, uh, I hated the ending. Uh, it was so foreshadowed and obvious that as soon as we saw Alfred's flashback you know that that's how it's ending like yeah. and then it only gets strengthened when you hear the very obviously like planted line for this purpose when they say oh the autopilot on the bat doesn't work when they when he introduces the bat and it's like oh we can't get the autopilot fixed you you know this is going to happen you knew this was going to end this way that something with the bat is going to happen it's going to seem like the autopilot's not fixed it's fixed and then Alfred's gonna see Bruce in a dumb cafe in Venice, like. <laughs> anyway, uh, the last thing I don't like, uh, I don't like, and I, we touched on it. Um, I don't like how much Rachel has affected stuff in this movie. Uh, we get some very well acted scenes from Alfred and Bruce during it, be like, and because of it. But I don't care. Like, I never cared for Rachel as a character very much, and I don't other than in Batman Begins, and I don't like how much Bruce is affected by it. Which is weird to say, since, like, his parents' death literally made him into a Batman, but still. <laughs> I feel like for like this was a person you were never with romantically. You kissed her once. Like, twice. Chill. Okay, twice. Chill my dog. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm almost surprised they didn't have Alfred die of a stroke either <laughs> at the end. But then we wouldn't have gotten to see him in Italy at the cafe, which would have been a shame, I guess. So you never know; he might have had a stroke after. It could have been a sh- like it could have been a stroke-induced uh, hallucination too. It's true. Bruce is actually still in the pit. No, Bruce's dead. Bruce Bruce got nuked. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, that works too. But yeah, that's everything I have uh, for that that film. Uh, any any closing thoughts on this one? Uh, not really. You know, like it's uh. The Dark Knight Rises is a a solid enough ending to a great trilogy. You know, it's nice that we got an older Batman that, uh, for whatever reason, retired, then came back, then decided to retire again. You know, of all the kind of almost retired Batman-type stories... Of the four we're talking about, this is definitely the weakest of the three, I think. I don't know where you sit on that one, but uh, for what for what like kind of Dark Knight Returns tie-ins we got and influences for the character, you know, Rachel dying, motivating him to retire, uh, for what motivated him to come back is his kind of devotion to Gotham. You know, I, I like a lot of that kind of stuff. And seeing him struggle to come back as Batman, he obviously needs a super-powered brace and, 
He's still a little sluggish on a few things when he gets whooped by Bane, but other than that, you know, it was a it was a really solid movie. I liked it a lot. Yeah, but no, I, I not the best. Yeah, I still enjoy it. Uh, it's a bit of a slog to get through just because of how long it is, but I can still watch it fairly regularly, which I suppose is, is what you want. Um, I would I wouldn't necessarily put Return of the Joker uh, in with these kind of heavily Dark Knight Returns based movies, but um, I think it, from just like a Batman sense of it, I think it is the weakest of the ones based off it. Uh, yeah. True. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we realized as we were recording that we had been uh, recording for almost four hours and uh, both wanted to take a break. I had to go get, to go get a pickup that was being delivered. Uh, Matt wanted to go to sleep because he'd been awake all night playing Destiny, apparently, or something. Uh, so we stopped after recording um, our Batman v Superman portion, and we're going to come back for Return of the Joker. But also, uh, as I said, we we're at almost four hours. So I decided to kind of retroactively split this part two into two parts. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this part's going to go up. I guess now and then next week will be the the continuation of the discussion of the the five movies we had been discussing during that Skype call. Um, I'm still using my old microphone uh, on this this one just because I, I am still working out the kinks of the other one and trying to get it set up properly. It is overly sensitive and it's been picking up uh, like a lot of static even when there's nothing like around me that I can hear making static. So I'm still figuring that out. So yeah, All right, we should be back next week for more with, uh, with me and with Matthew as we talk about more of the bat. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.